Welcome to episode 95 of the Animal Addicts podcast. On today's episode, Casey continues his discussion of big cats in the U.S., and I share a sad story involving another mass stranding in Tasmania. We learn about two new avian picks for this week, and about our animal of the week, who I think is adorable. So let's get to it. Episode 95 of the Animal Addicts podcast starts right now. Welcome to episode 95 of the Animal Addicts Podcast. As always, we are host Allie. And Casey. And today we're going to talk about a whole new batch of super cool animals. So Casey, what have you been up to last time I, since last time I saw you? <laughs> Words are hard. So I went to the safari park with my mom and my sisters. The wild animal park, yes. <laughs> and um, we changed it up this time because... Okay. Normally, we go straight towards, like, the tigers, the condors, and Australian beginning. Same. That's the same route I yeah. take. But this time, my mom wanted to see if she could get any activity with the new lions. Okay. They weren't. They have been more active. <laughs> oh, yeah? Consistently. When I say active, I mean they get up and walk somewhere and lay down. <laughs> and they'll sit up. Except for the one time that the one, like, stopped us on the tram. But mm-hmm. they are more active consistently than the others. Oh, yeah. But they're still lions. Yeah, they're still lions. (laughs) But um, when we, so we went there. First, we stopped by the elephants. My mom was waiting. It's like, they're going to get in the water. Just watch. It's like, if you say so. The problem with the elephants right now that makes me angry is that I would just camp out down there, but the bees are so bad. Oh, yeah. So many bees. So bad over there. Because I'm like, I'll just go sit here for a half hour, but mm-hmm. you bees are harassing me. I'm and like, other parts yeah. of the park, too. It's like there were bees everywhere. It's like, yeah. One time I went, when we got off the tram, they're like, oh, you can't go this way. There's a swarm of bees. You have mm-hmm. to go out the entrance. Yeah. So I was like, oh, okay. And that day um, we went, uh, there was this one section blocked off i think it's just construction but there was also a wedding going on so another area would have been closed by four yeah we went through it before of course so that was good um but yeah when we went by the lines they were just napping um what they do lying around yeah they were lying around (laughs) and then we went uh turntailed went to um the tigers and the condors and that was more exciting. The One of the tigers was actually up and moving around. Nice. They had put out um, some meat treats throughout the oh, enclosure for them, which I was surprised by because usually they do that earlier in the day. One, I should say, you know where the waterfall is? Mm-hmm. That's the only time I've literally ever seen it. One of the tigers was down below in that lower area. Mm-hmm. I've never seen them down there. I've seen it maybe three times. I've always seen them up top. They yeah. never go down there. And I was like, whoa. Anyway, continue. Yeah. So tigers were active and they had their meat treats. Yes. And so we spent a good amount of time there and she was talking to one of the volunteers talking about, it's like, yeah, I was happy because the lions were just doing nothing. Elephants, not so much. <laughs> it's also fairly warm, wasn't it? It was hot, but yeah. that was earlier in the day, but um, it got much hotter later, but it was still yeah. very hot. Uh, then we went up to the condors and it was funny. Uh, because one of the keepers came out was giving some browse to the the sh- bighorn sheep. I just don't know what that noise was. Yeah. <laughs> and sense. it was funny because, like, I saw, I could tell there was a bug flying around. And it's like, it landed on me. It's like, oh, hello there. And it was a mantis. And my mom was like, whoa. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, it was funny. She tried taking a picture of it and got real close. And it jumped onto her <laughs> did she manage to not drop her phone when that yeah. happened? That's good. I coaxed it off and helped her get better pictures. Then she tried again and it hopped back on again. <laughs> and then I took it off and put it on it's the like, I'll give that... you a close-up. <laughs> yeah, then I just took it off and put it on uh, the tree that was over there. Hmm, okay. Those babies are getting big real fast. Mm-hmm. Dude, they grow up fast. Yes, one of them clipped his horn and they shaved it off a bit. So now he has uneven horns. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. yeah, when I was there, one of them was like headbutting the metal mm-hmm. the gate over there I never see them that close either like you could reach out and pet them I mean yeah. don't but like you could and like he was doing that and then he chased off one of the babies was like he wasn't even what was he doing <laughs> like that was rude <laughs> anyway yeah. but so that was successful yeah um, like you said all the open air yeah. birds um, were off exhibit except for the cassowaries which I don't know if you consider that Oh, yeah, I get, but they're so covered. Yeah. But that's still, but other birds could get in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's weird. I didn't think about that. Yeah. And um, the 
a tree kangaroo was actually out. It oh was the God, male. Oh, my God, really? Yes. He was, I've not seen them in he forever. He was just on the branch chilling. Well, that's what they usually do. But like, <laughs> I know, but it was the only time in, I've seen him in, like, months. Yeah, so long I haven't mm-hmm. seen him. Yeah. Was I do know. platypus out and about? Yes, both of them. Uh, oh, what? Yes. Jealous. Yeah, they had a divider, a divider to keep them yeah. separated. And one was the male. He was in the lower one. He was just standing on the rocks and waterfall, shaking about, <gasps> enjoying them. It was so cute. Oh, they're barely out of the water ever. Yeah. I only mm-hmm. see them at the surface. Yeah, and he was like trying to climb up, of course, but the thing's oh. there. And then the female was just swimming all around in hers. Yeah, they do that little. They was... mostly go to the waterfall. Anytime there's someone there who's looking for them, like, start at the waterfall. They're going to go over there at some point, and then you can follow them yeah. from there. <laughs> but it was so cute, him just soaking up the waterfall. That's adorable. Yeah, we spend a lot of time there. I love the man- the manatees. <laughs> Very different animal. <laughs> I love the platypus. Yeah. They're so cute. Mm-hmm. Oh, God, I love them. Mm-hmm. I think they moved the geese from the um, the kangaroo thing. I think yeah. they're in the lorikeet thing right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they did. I remember seeing them, and I was like, oh, yeah, that's mm-hmm. right. It was funny because I was telling mom about the, my mom about the bird flu, and that's why things weren't, the yeah. birds weren't out. And it's like, what, do they not care about the ducks? And it's like, those aren't theirs. Yeah, they're not those. <laughs> These are freeloaders. freeloaders. Um, also, I realized when I was going up Condor Ridge last time, the parrots they have there, mm-hmm. those might be the parrots I saw. Oh, yeah? So I wonder if those actually are native. I just didn't think they would come up this high. They shouldn't. That's what I wouldn't think so. Their range stops I, down in Mexico. Right, but when I looked at them and I was like, that actually kind of does look like what mm-hmm. I saw. So anyway, I'm, I'm a little shook. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't seen mm-hmm. those birds since then, but... Anyway, all right, but it was a fairly successful trip to the park. Yep, it was a good day. Good. And then we went back to the lions one more time and the elephants, and they had moved, and this time they were by the near okay. the tram site, and we got to go on the tram and saw them on our way back. Did you see any of the babies out there? There was some baby to- um, yeah. spring buck. Uh-huh. Um, oh, we saw some roan antelope sparring with oh, each that's other. Fun. That's fun. And we saw the baby giraffe. Yeah. Just sitting there with his head up. He, oh, he was walking last time. Oh, yeah. pretty cute. Uh, yeah, he likes and we saw one of the young rhinos with his grandma. Aw, <laughs> but not the new one. No. Not the one with the Nikitacon. No. We could not see him. No, somebody on the thing could, but we couldn't mm. see him. But, well, they saw, like, his back. Must be real. Yeah. They didn't see him fully. <laughs> anyway. All right, but that's exciting. Mm-hmm. I also realized I really... I. Okay, folks, if you're younger, this is something I've learned, and I don't know why it took me this long to realize this for this situation. If you find something you like, buy two. If you find a wallet you really like, buy two. If it's a shirt you really like, buy two. Whatever it is, I mean, maybe not a car, because who can afford that? But, like, I mean, clothing, apparel, whatever it is, if you really like something, buy two, because that thing's going to die eventually, and then you can replace it. And I realized, I was like, because I have my small head problem, right? Mm -hmm. So I wear my little, like, visor guy, because I also want my high ponytail to be able to come out, but I... Because last time I went, I forgot my hat. And I was uh-huh. like, I'm only going for like two hours. It'll be fine. Whatever. And I got there. And I'm like, I missed my hat. Yeah. And I was like, it's fine. I'll buy another one. Because like, I really like this hat. And it has the old mm-hmm. emblem on it. So no. <sighs> I think I see that like a few months ago. And now no one has it. Now it's the ugly ass <laughs> new emblem. And I'm like, I'm not buying that. And I was so upset. Anyway. Oh and then when we went goodness. to the zoo, I'm like, I'm looking for this hat. And they still have it in like the ball caps. Mm-hmm. But they don't have mine with that uh-huh. old emblem. I'm like, oh. Anyway, but that's my advice to you. If you find something you like, you buy two of them. There you go. As long as it's not cost prohibitive. <laughs> um, obviously, it applies to dogs, right? <laughs> find a dog, you too. Anyway, um, so that is that. Um, okay, well, I... Was that the end of your part? Yes. Okay. So I decided to watch more of that America the Beautiful series to see if it was... <laughs> I don't want to say bad, but like... Not oh, the best. I remember one last thing. Yeah, yeah. This time, I, I actually went by the gorillas. Okay. And they have a bachelor troop now of just two males. Really? Yes, Frank and Monroe? I wonder if that's who was out last time mm. I went. But yeah, it was just two males. Yeah, because they were not really yeah. out. Yeah, because they don't get along with Winston no more. Oh, okay. They are challenging him too much. Oh, dear. And oh, he's dear. a senior citizen. So they don't want him fighting. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. that makes sense. Anyway, yeah. All right, mm-hmm. well... Um, but yeah, so I watched an, the next episode of the America the Beautiful series. So apparently the entire series is not are nominated. Wow. Narrated by Michael G- B. Jordan. Mm. And apparently also, everyone is heroes from now out. 
like the first episode was like Land of Heroes or whatever, and now it's like these heroes. I'm like, oh good. So we're just doing this the rest of the series. That's great. So this one was called Waterland, which was mostly focused on like Florida, Everglades-ish area, and then kind of some other places too. Um, but mostly more of the Florida area. Anyway, so um, it is safe. I have a feeling this entire series is going to be safe. Um, there was one part that's cool. There's a black bear who went to hibernation in a tree in like a mangrove swamp. And they're like, when she went into hibernation, this was land. And now it is wet. <laughs> so then she has to like get her cubs across. And like, anyway, it's a whole thing. Um, also, I just got to say that beach mice are adorable and smart. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, so I think, uh, so anyway, it's safe. It's kind of like, it's just, uh, the storytelling aspect I feel like it just isn't as good as other ones, the way they're doing it. It's okay, but like, it's not, it's not great. But they have some interesting stuff. I just also feel like it's a lot of the same information I've seen on a lot of other specials. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, I don't feel like you're giving me anything new. Where sometimes you watch a new special and it's like, what is this animal? What are we talking mm-hmm. about here? Um... And it wasn't quite as, like, America's so amazing this time. So mm-hmm. I was like, okay, this is better. It was to, mm-hmm. like, North America's the most diverse continent in anything and blah, blah, blah. But they only said that, like, one time. So I was like, okay, it's a little bit better. They're like, you can get polar ice caps down to sandy beaches. And I'm like, I mean, I guess you don't get the polar ice caps in other places. But, like, you do get high-ass mountains and, yeah. s- and deserts. Um, anyway, so it was kind of weird. But anyway, it is safe. I feel like I'm just going to have to run through that series real fast just to see if it's kind of a... So far, I'm kind of like, watch other things. <laughs> it's not It's not my favorite. We'll see if any of the other ones get a little bit better. Also, I feel that way kind of because like I've seen like three Everglades specials now, essentially. So I'm kind of like, this mm-hmm. has all been there, done there, that and that. So now maybe if they have like some of the other episodes, other episodes have new information, then we'll have that. They do talk about the Florida Panther too. And there's like, this is the most rare cat. And I'm like, it's freaking... I know it's different, but it's a mountain lion. It's a mountain lion. It's not that different. Why it's, are we so like... It's a subspecies. Well, yeah, it's a subspecies, <laughs> but I'm like, but it's a mountain lion. That's basically what it is. It's just slightly different. So, like, obviously we don't want them to go because they're specialized, mm-hmm. but, like, also it's not, like, some crazy different thing that doesn't mm-hmm. exist anywhere. Nothing like it exists. Anyway. So, it always just interests me when they're so crazy about the Florida panther. I'm like, even looking at it, it's it's got bigger ears. <laughs> I feel like physically, that's the only difference I yeah. see. The ears are bigger. Not like a lot, just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Mountain lions are cuter. But anyway, um, which I would never say if I saw one in the wild, because I'd be like, please don't eat me. Um, you like to fight nice kids. I'm like, don't fight me. <laughs> don't fight me. I don't want to fight you. I will fight a cheetah over you. I think I can oh, take Oh, yeah. You can, can ta- take a cheetah. You can take a cheetah. You can't take a mountain lion. No. You just got to. gotta. But the, a lot of people have fought them off with like hats and stuff. So mm-hmm. you just got to make it not worth it for them. Anyway, um, all right, well, hey, that is going to segue yep. into what we're going to talk about today. So, Casey, take it away. Yes, so last episode I talked about improper reporting on captive U.S. tiger populations, particularly by non-academic media sources. Now, currently, we do not have any reliable way of getting data on um, or estimating the captive tiger population in people's backyards, as I mentioned last time. But just last year, a paper was published that was investigating parts of the U.S. captive big cat population. The paper is titled A Census on Federally Regulated Big Cat Populations Within the United States as of December 2020. And it was published in the Journal of Zoological and Botanical Gardens. Full disclosure first, as the title indicates, this paper does not cover population of tigers being kept as pets. The data in this paper comes from the 2,272 USD licensed facilities. Also, this study looked at all big cats, not just tigers, but it did use the more colloquial definition of big cats that is used in the Captive Wildlife Safety Act and includes species like cougars, cheetahs, and cloud leopards, even though they're not actually big cats. So do they just consider it by size, basically, is how they're saying Basically. They are? Yeah. I don't know why I'd put a clouded leopard in that mix, though. They're it's always strong crazy. strong enough to mess you up. <laughs> yeah, but, like, a lynx kind of is, too. Oh, yeah, definitely a lynx. Yeah, so I'm like, I feel like they're the mid-sized But they cats. are, clouded leopards are larger. They are a little larger, but still, yeah. I would still classify them as a mid I feel like there's, like, large big cats, mm-hmm. medium-sized cats, yeah. and then small cats. And to be fair, clouded leopards are at least actually related to the big cats. Yeah. 
But still, I just feel like I feel like cheetahs and mountain lions got snubbed. <laughs> That's how I feel about it. Anyway, all right, continuing on though. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. So in this paper, they looked at the most recent routine inspection records for those facilities that had an active USDA Class C license. There were some problems encountered with obtaining facilities inventory records. There were some instances with a few facilities not having inventories available due to factors like procedural issues, record keeping, database issues, or they were a government run facility and so they didn't require a USDA license. Some facilities known to have big cats did not have any records on the USDA APHIS animal care database. Some were missing species, had a missing species from the their inventory, and some did not have an inspection since USDA APHIS um, began including inventories. To compensate for these issues, they reached out directly to facilities to request the information. The data collected was sorted by state, business type, accreditation, species, and number of animals held. All the data in this study uh, regarding the most recent inspection of all facilities with big cats was collected between June 28th of 2017 and December 17th of 2020. So in all, there were 2,226 facilities with an active license and two federal facilities. And out of those, there were 448 that had at least one big cat. So about 20% of licensed facilities. The majority of these were zoological facilities, facilities i.e. zoos, making up about 62% or 279 in total. The next most common um, were facilities with big cats were sanctuaries making up about 17% a total of about 76 and other categories of facilities are in very small numbers of each but altogether those make up the remaining 21% okay they also broke down the statistics by accreditation around 40% or 176 facilities are accredited by one of the two major zoo accrediting organizations when you break it down further, about 30% or 135 zoos are accredited by the AZA, about 7% or 33 are accredited by the ZAA, and 2% are accredited by both. Who's the ZAA? Zoological Association of America. Okay, but AZA is a higher... Yeah, zoo the ZAA, typically most of those facilities are smaller, newer, and they tend to be private. Oh, okay. Yeah, and there are some that have dual membership. Okay. And then, let's see. I feel like most of them, if they should qualify for both. Because they're just meeting standards, right? It can be a couple things, because the does come down to, because the AZA, again, they both look at multiple things, like conservation, your education programs, the um, standards of care, veterinary staff, a bunch of things. And also there are fees that you have to pay in order to be accredited. Oh, that's annoying. So smaller facilities can have Aren't a more difficult that. time. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's stupid. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, so about 26% of total facilities are composed of unaccredited zoos. And most sanctuaries are actually unaccredited. Of the total, 12% um, are unaccredited sanctuaries. Of all facilities, just 5% were accredited sanctuaries. About 2% were accredited by the American Sanctuary Association. Another 2% were accredited by the Global Federation of Animal Sanctuaries. And 1% were accredited by both. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Are those also things they'd have to pay for, though? Or is it They do have standards? fees, but it also comes down to standards. And when you talk to some of these accredited facilities, they will say a lot of their problems has to deal with the unaccredited sanctuaries. Meaning they're getting overflow from them? Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. And some of them aren't actually sanctuaries, but breeding operations. Right. Sanctuaries. It's a sanctuary, yeah. but that's always what, anytime you go to any of these things, I'm mm -hmm. always like, is this actually legit? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, in total, the big cat population is around 44,103. Most of these were tigers totaling around 1,538, followed by lions at 862. Then it was cougars at 487. Cheetahs at 425, and all other big cats had less than 300 individuals each. Okay. A slight plurality of these cats are in unaccredited facilities, around 45%, followed by the accredited zoos that hold about 42%, and the remaining 13% are in accredited sanctuaries. They also broke down by population by state, 
In order, the top three states with the most big cats are Florida, California, and Texas. Fun fact, Wyoming, Delaware, and Vermont have no record, record big cats. Really? Yeah. Wyoming doesn't? No. Who, I'm sorry, Wyoming, Vermont, and who's the other one? Delaware. They're so small. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And we see this same pattern in number of facilities by state in that same order. So obviously with California, it's mostly zoos and stuff because yeah. you can't just own a tiger in California. No. Unlike Florida and Texas. <laughs> yes. So again, with the limitations, this does not look at private homes, but it does have important application. Um, even with regards to regulated facilities, it can't be used as a direct exact count, but serve more as a snapshot of the approximate population of different species and how they are distributed across different types of facilities and states. This is partly due to that inspections are done on a rolling and risk basis. Um, so some facilities may only be inspected every few years or when a complaint is received. And then troublesome facilities with lots of complaint get inspected more often. Also facilities that are not open to public are not included because they aren't required to be licensed and public data isn't available for them. That's a sketch. Yeah. Um, Given the available historical data on captive tiger populations, this study um, and this study, there has been a drastic decline since 2011 by possibly a thousand individuals. Whoa! Yeah, lions and leopards have decreased by about 200 each. Cougars have declined by about 50 percent of their populations, while cheetahs and snow leopards have increased slightly, and jaguars are remaining steady. Um, so some factors that may be contributing to this in the case of tigers um, rescue and sanctuary sectors have decreased their contribution has resulted in a decrease in the breeding population um, there's also been um, the reduction of commercial breeding operations by the USDA with big cats and there's more restrictive laws regarding private ownership as well as changes to AZA population management programs back in 2009 the AZA Felid Taxonomy Advisory Group recommended managing generic tigers to extinction, and the population of generic tigers, which are just hybrids of multiple subspecies, has gone from 114 down to just 30. Huh. Mm -hmm. And then with cougars, it's unknown causes why the population has gone down so much, um, but there are no collaborative breeding programs. Um, cougars have not been bred since the 90s in the AZA, and all the ones that they get now are just trouble animals and rescues. Trouble animals? Yeah. <laughs> That's not very nice. Yeah, because they're very common, so there's not really a need for a managed breeding program. Okay. Then jaguars, snow leopards, and cheetahs. Um, a larger proportion of their population is in species survival programs. For jaguars, it's around 53%. Um, snow leopards, is 65%. And um, cheetahs, 65% as well. Okay. That's crazy. Yep. And also, I left a link to another podcast that did interview the um, author of this paper. Mm -hmm. It's going to be the second link, and they do a more in-depth dive because they spent like 40 minutes talking about this where I'm I'm spending like 10. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, mm -hmm. there you go. Mm -hmm. Crazy information about big cats in the USA. It's <laughs> our theme song. Well, not for the show, but for that. Mm. Anyway, all right. So I have a um, depressing story. Yay, me. So uh, the link, or the link, the uh, title, headline, whatever, I'm going to get there, guys, um, for this article is 230 pilot whales beached in Tasmania exactly two years after the area's last mass stranding. Um, so this is from Live Science. I will be linking the uh, article, obviously. So far, they've rescued 32 pilot whales from this group. So, in an unusual case of deja vu, a pod of some 230 pilot whales were stranded on Tasmania's western coast on the 21st of September, exactly two years to the day after a different pod of whales stranded on and near the same beach. So, the eerie timing of the stranding could well be a coincidence. Rob Devil, I'm going to say his name is Devil. <gasps> is it Devil? Rob <laughs> Devil? <laughs> Anyway, project oh manager God. of the Zoological Society of London's Cetacean Stand... This is a long name. Zoological Society of London Cetacean Strandings Investigation Program. Or CISP. 
<laughs> CSIP. Anyway, told life science. A number of factors can drive cetaceans, marine mammals such as whales and dolphins, to strand. And at this point, it's unclear which factors played into this particular incident, he said. Anyway, obviously say it's terrible and they have a long history of doing this. Um, so about 200 pilot whales so far have died in the most recent Tasmanian stranding and their carcasses, lovely, may offer clues as to why the animals ended up on shore. The Department of Na Natural Resources and Environment Tasmania, NRE, Test Taz, Tas, N R E T A S, uh, will conduct postmortem investigations on the deceased animals. But for now, what caused the whale stranding is unknown. The department said in a statement, and even the postmortem analysis, uh, the cause of the stranding may not be able to be determined. The department said. So, um, they have a huge mortality rate on this particular stranding, as most of the animals stranded on Ocean Beach, a long stretch of coastline, were exposed to the pounding surf. Um, Brendan Clark and Ritaz staff member and incident controller for the stranding event told reporters at a local press briefing on the 22nd of September. So this is a little bit old. Sorry, guys. Anyway, um, so, and then only a few animals were found stranded within the nearby Macquarie. I'm going to go with that. Harbor on the sand flat. So anyway, um, and then they just go on to say that during the previous mass stranding in 2020, many of the pilot whales beached themselves within the estuary of Macquarie Harbor. I feel like that's pretty close. So they were actually stranded in much more sheltered waters. Anyway, so um, and the previous stranding involved about 470 longfin pilot whales and uh, 30... Sorry, they say they were... Well, I'm just trying to see how much they said that they... Okay, yeah. So they were able to refloat and release about 111 of them back then um back into the thing so far they've only been, been able to do 32 this time around so anyway the beach is closed to the public and they're obviously studying why this happens mm -hmm. but who knows if we'll have any kind of answer um anyway you can go on to read the rest of the article it just goes on about what has happened in the past in this whole incident and that they don't really know why it's happening and it's just really weird that it happened two years to the day yeah that's what's weird what you do tasmania I know. <laughs> What's going on down there? Anyway, so anyway, you can look into that and see um, the rest of that article. But that is the gist of it. So these pilot whales got to stop doing this. Yeah. You got to stop killing yourselves. And I remember seeing, I think, like a news story of it, like not seeing the whole news story, but and there was like there was blood all over the beach and it's just not not great. Anyway, um, so that's my depressing news, everybody. Mm -hmm. It's just weird. In time for spooky season. Yeah. It is weird that... They have stranded two years to the day. This is a, a not good situation. <laughs> anyway. But that is going to bring us into, well, these are marine animals. Yes. <laughs> and that's going to bring us to our pick this time. And it was Casey's turn. And Casey, what did you choose for our category? Marine birds. There you go. Marine birds. <laughs> so what did you choose, Casey? I went with the Arctic tern. Okay, cool. And their scientific name is Sterna paradisiae. As their name suggests, the Arctic tern is found around the Arctic along the coasts of Greenland, Russia, Northern Europe, and North America. Okay. This species has a pretty long lifespan for a bird of its size and can live to be around 30. They're about 33 to 36 centimeters long and have a wingspan about 76 to 85 centimeters and weigh about 86 to 127 grams. That's pretty good wingspan. Yeah. Well, it's not huge. I guess it's like a seagull. Mm -hmm. Anyway. Um, just like all other marine birds, the Arctic terns are piscivores. They feed on small fish like capelin and sand eels, but also feed on small crustaceans. They will hunt by flying about 9 to 12 meters in the air and flap their wings a few times before diving straight down to catch the fish below. Arctic terns are a monogamous bird species, and mated pairs will meet up at the same location every year when they migrate back to their breeding grounds in the Arctic. They will display some interesting mating behaviors, like males performing a fish flight, in which he carries fish while in the air, while also making screaming sounds that come from their snouts. What? Yeah, his mouth full of fish, and he screams. Oh, he's. I figured they were holding them in their talons. No, they don't they're have in talons. Their, okay, they're in their mouth? Yep. So it's like a dog with a bunch of balls in their mouth yeah. barking? Okay. Then he will land and offer the fish to his mate. These terns will usually nest on rocky or sandy beaches in massive colonies of several terns. And these nests are in close proximity to one another, so the nesting pairs will defend their nests uh, against other birds. 
The chicks are not completely helpless and are able to walk around a bit within a few days after hatching. That's good. But they never stray very far from the nests, and both the parents will participate in raising the offspring. Yay. The most interesting thing about these birds, though, is that they partake in the longest migration of any animal on Earth. What? <laughs> their breeding grounds are near the Arctic during the summer months when they are raising their chicks. But after that, they fly all the way down to the waters of Antarctica. Whoa. One study tracked 11 Arctic terns with geolocators, and they found some individuals were traveling over 80,000 kilometers each year. Wow. <laughs> Given the lifespan of these birds, an average Arctic tern may travel about 2.4 million kilometers over the course of its life. And to put that into perspective, the moon is less than 400,000 kilometers away. <laughs> um, so my question is, mm -hmm. are they fully circumnavigating the globe or they just go down one side and back up? They go down and then back up. Okay. <laughs> I feel like at that point, you may as well just yeah. complete it. Yeah, there's two routes that they will partake. Okay. Is one a one way, or <laughs> is that the down and that's the up, or are they just this is just the two options it's you just have? Two options. Okay, because they all go down. Okay, <laughs> one time the other then go back. Oh up. yes, that's true. Yeah, there's not, but it's still they could all fly down this way and then go over and then they could. Go up. <laughs> uh, but also due to the timing of their migration, the Arctic tern exposed to more sunlight than any other animal in the world. Wow, because <laughs> in the summer, Arctic is full daytime. Right, and then. Rest Switch of the year, it. they go down to Antarctica, and it's still su sunny. That's crazy. They just <laughs> yeah. don't like being in the dark. Yeah. Uh, the Arctic tern is currently listed as least concerned by the ICU and mm -hmm. Red List, but their populations are declining. One of the reasons for these declines is due to invasive American minks feeding on uh, their nests. Um, thankfully, there are removal programs in place that are helping to reduce the loss in reproductive success. There has also been a significant loss in the sand eel population, which is one of their primary food sources, and one of the leading causes of breeding failures is um, food shortage, and increasing sea temperatures has been linked to a decline in the sand eel population. Oh, sand eels are weird. <laughs> okay. Anyway. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, there you go. That is the Arctic turn, which I feel like should be like a figure skating turn. <laughs> but anyway. All right. So I chose the American Oyster Catcher, and I'm not going to lie, it's because they remind me of the birds in the short before Moana. <laughs> I, I still haven't seen Moana. That. You have to go see it. Yeah. Well, go see it. Like, get Disney Plus. But anyway. Yeah. Um, all right. So. Uh, the... I do have Disney. That's the thing. I have Disney Plus. I still haven't used it. Are you serious? You're paying for it. You may as well do it. Yeah. There's so many things on there. Mm -hmm, anyway, know. but I'm that horrible. short is, and then they have a bunch of them where they have just like a bunch of Pixar shorts, and you can just watch the shorts. But so many of them are sad, so I'm like, I can't. But I like drama. Stop, stop making me sad. <laughs> but that little one's adorable. That one's so cute. Anyway, moving on. So the uh, American oyster catcher, which is not the bird from Moana, Moana but they're similar. <laughs> anyway, um, they are. Their scientific name is Hematopus. Going with that, maybe Hematopus. Um, Palliatus. That's what we're saying. These birds are found along much of the coastline of North and South America. This species often reaches 10 years of age, but some individuals have been known to live up to 17. It is well known that many of the birds in the family... Is it car or char? It's car, car right? Caradrilformes. Mm -hmm. The Caradrilformes. Okay, great. That. Um, the shorebirds. Um... And we know some of their relatives can live into their 20s or even 40s, so it is possible that American oyster catchers may have similar lifespans. This species is relatively large for a shorebird. They are slightly sexually, slightly? They're slightly sexually dimorphic with the females getting larger than the males. They are 40 to 44 centimeters long, an 81 centimeter wingspan. That's pretty good. 81. That's about 32 inches. Wow, they're bigger than I thought they were. All right. Um, and they get 400 to 700 grams. As their name may suggest, the American oyster catcher mainly feeds, feeds on marine invertebrates, including mollusks and clams, as well as worms and crabs. These birds hunt in the intertidal zone, where they will use two different hunting techniques. One is called stabbing, in which an oyster catcher walks around on a bed of shellfish until it finds one that is open, then will quickly stab inside the shell with its beak. Yeah, Paul's a Michael Myers. Great. <laughs> but when I hear Michael Myers, I think of Michael Myers. The, like, I know. <laughs> it's 
so bad. Anyway, um, anyway. It's spooky season. So it's just, I'm Dr. Evil. Anyway, um, all right. So even though oysters seem like easy prey, this technique comes with a few risks. Uh-oh. The oyster can close and clamp its shell on the bird's beak, and the bird may get stuck until high tide and drowns. Oh, that's rough. The other technique it uses is called hammering, and this involves the bird picking up a single muscle and takes it and starts hammering it against a rock. That's how birds kill lizards. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, these oyster catcher uh, oyster catchers are usually the only birds able to open these large mollusk shells, so they will attract other birds that will try to steal the meat when they break it open. That's not nice. These birds are migratory and regularly move to breeding ground every year. The American oyster catcher is a serially... <laughs> Yeah, I can't say it. Serially. Why? Anyway, I keep wanting to say seriously from the last time. When it's not really serious. It's not serious. It's a serial, serially monogamous species that will have a new mate each year, but some will stay with the same mate for life. Aww. Um, the mated pair will usually get together during the spring months when the males and females have arrived at the breeding grounds. Just like other birds, they partake in elaborate mating rituals in the breeding season. The pair will walk parallel to each other and hold their necks stretched out and look down while making piping calls. They will, um, they, then they will bob their head up and down while running nest, nest, next. next. Okay, that makes more sense. Definitely put a nest while running next to one another and change the pitch of their calls before initiating mating. Okay. Both parents share responsibilities of the nest building and raising their chicks. They make a very simple nest called a scrape by scraping the ground to make an indent and lining with vegetation and lining it with vegetation. After the eggs after the eggs hatch, they will remain with their parents until they are six months old and reach maturity around three to four years. The chicks don't always follow their parents on their migrations. Some studies have shown that sometimes chicks from the same nest will migrate in completely different directions. That's crazy. They were sick of their siblings. <laughs> Aside from when they are on their migration, the oyster catcher is largely terrestrial, and you are more likely to see them walking or running than flying. The American oyster catcher is currently listed as least concerned by the IUCN Red List, and their population is currently stable. So there we go. There are some birds. We have so many birds lately. Yeah. And that's going to bring us to our Animal of the Week. And our Animal of the Week this week is... The Pajama Shark. The Pajama Shark, which I've not heard of yet. And I am so curious how it got that name. So we're going to find out. <laughs> All right. So these guys come from the order Correcoriniformes. Okay. And they're in the family Sleoranidae. And their scientific name is Poroderma africanum. The pajama shark is an endemic species found around South Africa, ranging from Southeast Atlantic to Western Indian Oceans. They're a demersal species, meaning they live near the seafloor and live along the continental shelf and are usually found on rocky substrates, in caves, or kelp beds. Uh, They can live to be about 21 years old, and they measure in about 1.1 meters long. They are primarily piscivores and feed on various species of bony fish, small sharks, shark egg cases, and invertebrates. Many shark species rely on more of a sawing motion to cut apart their prey, but the pajama shark does more of a spinning motion, somewhat like the death roll of a crocodile. Oh, weird. And this helps them to stun their prey and pull invertebrates off of rocks. Hmm. The common name for this species is pretty self-explanatory. Since they have long longitudinal stripes that resemble striped pajamas <laughs> old school yeah okay nice the etymology of the species scientific name is odd because its generic name poroderma comes from the words poros which means hole or passage and derma which means skin while species epithet african is a reference to us from africa okay so you could say it translates to whole skin from africa ew i don't like it <laughs> yeah um, as mentioned earlier, these belong to the family Scyliorhinidae, um, which are commonly referred to as cat sharks. And these sharks get that name due to the elongated cat-like shape of their eyes. And sometimes the pajama shark may be referred to as the striped cat shark, due to the seven stripes that extend from the snout to its tail fin. They are primarily a nocturnal species and come out at night to hunt, but sometimes may be observed during the day. Like most other cat sharks, the pajama shark lays egg cases, which are sometimes referred to as mermaid's purses. (laughs) 
They will lay one egg per oviduct, and they have to, so they have a litter size of two pups. The pups will emerge from their egg case after about five months and are about 15 centimeters long when they come out, and they will reach sexual maturity when they're about 0.8 meters long. These sharks live relatively close to shore, which exposes them to variations in the salinity of the water due to runoff from rivers. Pajama sharks have to make sure they stay well-fed because they rely on storing nitrogenous waste from their food in their tissues to help them osmoregulate properly to live in these fluctuating salt concentrations. What is osmoregulate? It is where you control the concentration of salts. Oh, that's You remember one. hypotonic, hypertonic from biology or anything like not, that? I mean, yes, but not actually. Yeah, so they basically have to make sure they stay hypotonic um, to make sure their body functions properly. Okay. Crazy. Okay. Yeah. It's basically, remember how we talked about like bull sharks going into fresh water? Yeah. That's part of osmoregulation. Okay. Control your body salt content. So do we osmoregulate if we're cutting back salt in our diet? Technically. Yay. But I um, use fancier terms for all these things. It, anyway. Continue. It doesn't make sense to the common folk. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but then they'll be confused. Like, oh, I'm osmoregulating yeah. right now. Yeah. Like, What? It reminds me of stupid biology memes that me and my friends used to send to each other. <laughs> now I'll get like 1% of jokes that you might make, and I'll be like, ah, neurocophagus, <laughs> you're right. Oh, but I rip this. What were we saying? Yeah. Anyway, continue. Yeah. Mm. Um, this may explain the broad range of food items these sharks will hunt, including various invertebrates from worms, mollusks, and crustaceans to things like fish, because they must stay well fed in order to deal with these fluctuations this fluctuating environment. This broad diet has also resulted in a variety of hunting strategies used by this species. These sharks have a particular taste for squid, which are agile animals with great color changeability and can produce ink, which makes them very difficult for the sharks to catch. Scientists have found that these sharks will actually venture offshore to the breeding grounds of the choka squid during the daytime, and they will hide in these squid's egg beds with their heads hidden. Oh. The female squids will use her arms to attach the, her fertilized eggs to the seafloor, while the male stands by to scare away other males that might try to mate with her. Hmm. And it turns out that these stripes of the pajama shark help to break out their outline, which allows them to stay hidden among the egg strands, and these sharks will suddenly lunge um, at the squids as the female is attaching the egg strands to the bed. Oh. This hunting strategy allows them to take advantage of a reliable food source that would normally be very difficult to hunt. Because hmm. these squids are also able to distinguish between non-threatening species of fish and ones that are dangerous. Oh, snap. Yeah. The pajama shark is currently listed as least concerned by the IUCN red list, and their population are currently on the rise. They are occasionally caught as bycatch, and there is a minor fishery that collects this species for the aquarium trade. Uh, back in 2005, though, the pajama shark was listed as a prohibited commercial line species, with a, and they established a limit of one individual um, being caught. Hmm, okay. There has also been a ban of all-terrain vehicles on beaches, which has resulted in a decline in shoreline fishing. Hmm, okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yes. All right, there we go. Um, well, Casey. Yes, Allie? Why did the octopus win in a fight against the shark? Because mm. was I don't know. Because he was well armed. I dang it! <laughs> you were gonna get it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you could have done it. You just didn't want it to be that, but yeah. it was. It was that. All right. Well, that's gonna bring us to our challenge. And you got it right. It is. They are arms. Yes. yes. I know people that always call them tentacles. It's like not tentacles. They're arms. <laughs> I think they. I don't know why. I don't know. I don't. Whatever. It's just more fun to say it's a tentacle. Yeah, but it's not right. <laughs> okay. Well, Just like go. squids only have two tentacles and the rest are arms. <laughs> the rest are arms. He did a little mm -hmm. dance with that. That was yeah. fun. Anyway. All right. Well, it is time for a challenge. And I realize this is close to our last cups, but we got kind of off schedule because I got so mad about the movie and book situation. So anyway, <laughs> now we're back to doing cups in the beginning of the month. So we're doing our cups. Again, if you're new, this is sort of like taboo, except we don't have limits. We just can't say words that are in mm -hmm. the word. Um, we also probably shouldn't be acting it out or singing and things either. But anyway. Um, all right. Oh, yeah. That's not allowed in taboo either, right? I don't think so. Okay. I'm not 
have to pull out taboo. We should play like actual taboo and just find animal. I haven't ones. played in years, man. I gotta get That'll taboo suck. back out. Although I don't know how we would do it because you pretty much need at least four people. Yeah. Says we just have to be honest and be like, "Oops, I said that word." All right, let's see who's going first. Me. All right. All right. Five minutes. Five minutes on the clock. Are we ready? Yes. And go. And this is a hibbly. It's obviously a random one I got. Okay, so caracals have these things on top of their Tuss. ears. Okay. Um, and then it's, I can say that. It's a type of bird, but it sounds like it should be something else. Um, think of boobs and then a small tit. rodent. Oh, tough tip mouse? But, yeah, we'll go with that. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> well, it sounded like you didn't say tough. It's tough, yeah. Okay. Oh, not fresh water, but salt water and crocodile. No, um, it's a small rodent, so it's a a mouse. What? Yeah, a, a, a mouse, a salt water. Yeah. Oh, oh, uh, um, it'll be okay. Uh, not a swamp, but a salt marsh harvest mouse. Yes. Nope. Okay. <laughs> like whatever your thing was. Okay. Uh, did I choose this or did you choose this? I think you chose this. Um, I don't remember what the category was. It is a reptile that's in the water and it has a color in its name. Reptile in the water. Yeah, you've seen. Oh, green sea turtle. Yeah, there you go. Oh, oh so that this mammal lives underground. Poor eyesight. A mole? Um, yeah, and what's in the center of your face? Nose. Oh, uh, star-nosed mole? Yes. Okay. <laughs> That's the center. <laughs> okay. Um, oh, God, it's another random one. Okay. So, uh, the, the nation I'm from, I would say I am. Ireland. No, Irish. No, but, like, actually, like, actually, not my heritage, but, like, where I am, actually. Oh, America? Yeah, okay. But I would say, like, I'm a... I'm, American. Yeah, okay. And then, uh, if you win first place, you get this medal. G gold? Yes, and then they're a small, I can say bird, a small bird. American goldfinch? Yeah. Oh, one of my favorite, my favorite color. Oh, no, I don't remember. <laughs> Mine's blue. I don't remember if we were the same. I think we're the same. Is it blue? Yeah. Okay, yeah, it's blue. Um, uh, lives in the ocean, predator. Uh, shark? Okay. Put it together. Blue shark. Oh, sorry, sorry. Okay. <laughs> um, oh, okay. This was the animal. It was one of our categories, our picks, and this is the animal that's extinct that I want to see, that I want to have brought back. What? Also known as the, I can say all that, Tasmanian tiger. Oh, thylacine. Yeah. Oh, um, they live in Australia. They can walk on their hind legs. Kangaroos? No, it's a reptile. Oh. They will run at you. Oh, I was like, what the fuck? Uh, frilled neck lizard? Yes. Okay. Um, okay. This is a really cute animal. They have them at the Monterey Bay Aquarium. Sea otter? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, oh, my. It's a type of tree. Aromatic tree. Oh, come on, man. Pine? No. I don't remember aromatic. Oh, God. Willow... Just oak. start naming trees. I am naming trees. Oak, or a spruce. Think of like wood shavings. There's mahogany. No. And I need something more than that. That's not really good. Oh, work. elm. Like. Like it's not pine or aspen. You really don't know. Which no, shavings. like oh, oak. I mean, uh, I don't know. oh, you mean like the um, like the like small animal yeah. wood shavings? Oh my god, what are those? <laughs> I'm used to aspen and. Most of them used to Aspen. Okay, I'm on. You're gonna have to give me more than that. I'm oh my gosh! At this. It is a. Oh my gosh! Because that's very important to the name. <laughs> okay. Um. <laughs> it rhymes with something that you plant to grow plant. Plants grow a plane? Plants. Oh, fertilizer? No. Poop. The thing that actually will grow. A seed. Okay, and um I don't have anything that sounds if like If I like to run, then I'm a A runner? Okay, and what was the first word you a had? A seed to... runner? Take off the run. A seed er. Yes. Okay. Oh, and um, okay. there's Seed. candle. Wax. Yeah, and 
Birds have wings. Put it all together. Cedar waxwing. Yes. Oh, geez, that's a random one I found. Okay. <sighs> Uh, Dear this God. is okay. This was okay. That same category that I chose the thylacine. This was your choice. Um, gastric brooding frog. It was more specific. A direction. Southern gastric brooding frog. Okay. Oh, uh, not land, but water. Oh, okay. Put it away. Me. All right, hon. <laughs> Stupid cedar. <laughs> oh, that was bad. Five. Six. We did not do well this time. That was only eleven. What is that's a is that a It's probably it's a bird. bird. I usually when I find random things it's either a bird or a fish. <laughs> it's almost always a bird oh, or a fish. Good lord. It won't let me put in the number. Okay, we have to remember that we got eleven. It's it being, won't let you put it in? No, it's my computer's being iffy. Oh. Okay, there we go. Alright, anyway. Okay, well that was not our best work. Um so there oh, we go. Cute. Is it? I didn't I haven't looked at any of them. Oh, it's so cute. It kinda looks like a cardinal. Mm-hmm. Anyway, all right, that's cute. Anyway, no, I usually will find random birds and random fish to throw in a, amongst other things we've done. My goodness. I can't remember. I can't remember cedar. I literally, the only oh things that were in my head were like alfalfa. And I'm like, that's not what it is. That's not what shavings, Allie. Uh, what are you talking about? Oh, I'm like, Marty. Timothy Hay. I'm like, still not. Anyway. All right, well, there you go. Thank you all for listening. That brings us to the end of uh, episode 95, which is our first episode in the I almost said Arctic. In, in the, the Atlantic creation. Ocean. In the what? Your My Creation 95. Oh, there you go. Okay. That's what's important. Yep. Casey's birth year. My birth year was terrible. So many bad things happened. Like disasters around the world. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. When I, around the time I was born, my mom was pregnant with me. My yep. dad actually got a tumor the size of a cantaloupe. Oh, lovely. <laughs> That's nice. Anyway, sorry, we got sidetracked as per usual at the end yep. here. Anyway, thank you for listening. As always, we're your host, Allie. And Casey. And we will catch you on the next episode of the Animal Addicts Podcast. <laughs>